Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Story Show. And today we come to a conclusion. About scene. It is a series of scenes that we're concluding here. Beginning, middle, and end. But first, what are you working on? I am experimenting with log lines um, at your suggestion. And um, I did a lot of brainstorming and then I oh and then I kind of excruciatingly read through my entire journal start which started in March I think or anyway somewhere around the beginning of this sort of pandemic shelter in place moment that has extended and extended and um yeah so I did that which was so interesting to me Actually, first it was really boring, and then it was, became interesting. And one of the things I realized is that in my day-to-day life, I think, okay, this is today. Like, today is about this. But it turns out, like, days and days and days and days are about this. And it, then I realized, oh, this is like this era. And, you know, and it's an era in response to a certain situation, so did you not, before this particular assignment, <laughs> go back? time. <laughs> no, no, go back and look at your journal. Because, I, you know, I, 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 I th- there are people who do and people who don't. I so. didn't ever, like, sit and read through the whole thing. First of all, I have terrible handwriting. I mean, I, and it's gotten only gotten worse with lack of real practice. Other, than, I guess I have to do morning pages, so maybe it's gotten worse with that. Who knows? But it's gotten really bad. Um so there's that. You know, I had the remarkable, like, tried to translate my handwriting, and it, it just had no clue. But you just tried once. You know, I, I'm not, I'm willing for it to learn and all that AI stuff, but um, but it was not hopeful where we started from. Anyway, so I have really bad handwriting, so it's hard to read. Um, my, my morning pages, you know, either they're scenes, which I then immediately, like, usually export somewhere, or it's kind of a lot about, like, cleaning how it should be happening, how it isn't happening, how it could be happening, how I might approach it. I mean, if I clean, do, do you think you could develop a whole project on cleaning, what well, it not, is and what it should be? I could, I could develop a lot on writing about cleaning because apparently I'm pretty good at writing about cleaning. Not, I mean, or I could just, if I did the amount of cleaning that, that I you wrote about, yeah, then I would be, we'd have a very clean house maybe. Anyway. So, um, that is part of it. It's um, sometimes I do like nonsense writing, which is great actually. And it was interesting to sort of see, okay, these are all the things floating around in my unconscious. But it was kind of interesting the way that listening to someone else's dreams can be interesting, but mostly only if you really love them. <laughs> so, and they're younger. Yeah, I have a lot of journals. I don't know. I might go back to them. I was I was reading a little bit of the Susan Sontag biography called Sontag, um, which is her stepfather's last name. But anyway, and you know there are these quotes from her journal, and it was sort of like, oh okay, wasn't her last name like Rosenblatt or something? Mm-hmm. It was Susan Sue Rosenblatt. Yeah, there's a great part um, which I think I mentioned to you where where one of her they, they the author interviews one of her former classmates who like knew she was going to do something brilliant and would look around for like. Was there a famous Sue Rosenblatt, like publishing a novel or publishing, you know, on interpretation? But no, that was Susan Sontag. So he thought, well, I guess Sue Rosenblatt never became famous. And maybe she wouldn't have. On interpretation by Sue Rosenblatt. I don't know. Just saying. Anyway, (laughs) where was I? Oh, her diary wasn't necessarily always like that scintillating either. So there. 
<laughs> and she wrote a little newspaper as a child like me. So I was just like, oh, look at how much Susan Sontag and I have in common. That was, oh, pandemic days, what are you doing to me? I don't know. <laughs> okay, moving along. Yes. What are you working on? Uh, well, as you know, we've been working on the attempt to take on sort of the Cal Newport approach to finish completion-focused project Completion management. Completion-centric. And we are learning a lot and doing that. Are we finishing that. a lot? That's the question. Well, I think what's true is we were like, you know what? These things we have to do all the time don't count. And I don't think that's true. This, this, these 60 hours a week are just maintenance. Right. So and then so, we're just doing what, what we can fit around the 60 hours of maintenance, the children, dog, and right. house. And so then basically he has this framework where it's like, oh, you have to finish all of these before you can, before move, you on. can move on. Which and is brilliant in a way, right? It forces the issue. If you have issue. correctly sized your projects, if your project is a year long and, you know... But we have never been able to correctly size our projects. Fair enough. But what I what is going to say is that we have been going through a lot of stuff. And I think, you know, really, that's what I've been working on is, is using, I've been taking Scott Young's class on rapid learning. I've been... Rapidly learning. Rapidly learning. Math. I've been reading about math, some great uh, classes online. Again, Joe Bowler. Um, a professor out of UC Berkeley now has you, this you great... mentioned, because, you know, for some people, including me, your hardcore turn toward math could seem a little out of left field. But you were talking about how the way, especially that Joe Bowler talks about math, you, you see its similarities to writing. Well, in a shift to... And it's funny because... Um, talking about, like, this notion that a student should have their best thinking first... Mm. Uh, when approaching especially new problems is kind of crazy. Is, and is that a notion? I think it is a notion. I think a lot of people feel like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you how to do this, and then you should be able to do this because I, I drew some pictures on a board and I talked at you. And I think that really, unless you're engaging with the actual work of anything, you don't really know how to use it. So that's... In some ways, I think there's a similarity to new writers. New writers are like, my first draft should be perfect, right? I should be able to say yeah. these things in this particular way with this clarity and with this nuance. Either either newer writers feel I, my first draft should be perfect and they're disappointed, or they feel my first draft is perfect, perfect and then they're also disappointed. <laughs> and the rest of us are disappointed. <laughs> no. Um, but, but so this notion of, of that math is something you can revise, Right, your understanding of math, your and and so it's been interesting to me to to do that for yeah, sure. There's exciting. definitely an that's overlap exciting. in that respect. And yeah. I think you know if you could approach our budget with that creative attitude, math is something you can revise. Who knows what might happen? <laughs> Things might we, get better. We rosier. spent we spent a lot less than we thought we did. <laughs> or in than your second you draft, yeah, we in did. Your second draft. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, so I've been doing the math stuff and focusing on the completion. And I think one of the things that would be useful for other people is defining your projects and realizing, oh, when we look back on his examples, it was like, oh, write an article. And so that was in his project list, things to complete, where write an article, write, 
you know, mm. he had these little, and they aren't little, writing an article is not a small I know, what, thing. What's but. confusing about it is it was framed by an article we read, I think, by him, talking about Einstein spending three years working on the theory of relativity. Absolutely. Which is a really different scope than finish your article. Right. But at the same time, here we are, we're doing a podcast, which does not take no time. No. And so, and at this, so we were like, but we're not going to count completing the podcast as part of our right. Well, it's project we have time. too many projects. This is probably for another episode because this is our scene episode. But maybe we can tackle some of this with Let's our get to that scene. patient audience at some other point. All right. So, a few reminders. After we discuss the scene, we will encourage you to write, but without worrying about incorporating any of this discussion we're about to have in any formal way. In other words, this is not a multiple choice test. You do not need to remember, memorize, or, um, you know, reproduce what we're talking about. Uh, You can also use what we discuss as revision tools. But if you decide to use this as a kind of prompt to create a scene, when you go to the page, trust your own process. Trust that you've gotten whatever you needed from the discussion, whatever sparked you, including going in some other direction and just write. That's the best way to do early drafting in response to these kinds of prompts. This is part of a series, as we've mentioned. This is the third, and we think for for now, the final. I think if we revisit the scene, we might revisit it differently. Yeah. Anyway, um, so you can go back to uh, the previous three episodes, actually, because we did an introductory one that established what we were up to, and then we've done two scenes so far, one from Elizabeth Strout, one from um, Colson Whitehead, and today, what are we doing? We're going to move into nonfiction territory. Woo-hoo. So we are moving into... Uh, Danzy Senna's Where Did You Sleep Last Night? Which it says right on the cover is A Personal History. Yes. And um, so Angie's going to read the scene. Mm-hmm. And then um, we are going to look at the shape of the scene. Mm-hmm. We're going to look at the character's desire and obstacles, the purpose and accomplishments of the scene, the new information it delivers, and the way it moves the story forward. And then finally, the action and detail that make up the scene. And we will read through our template as we go, and it will also be in the show notes. And I'm actually going to include a little bit at the beginning here. This is literally the first page. So I'm going to include some stuff that I wouldn't necessarily say was in the scene. And we'll discuss actually where the scene begins. But I do think every scene after this will have the benefit of the scene before it, helping it transition in. So All right. So let's 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 hear this. This is the entire sort of um, prologue or something, right? Is it a prologue? It's well, it doesn't have yeah. Anyways, the entire first piece of the book. And um, and so we'll discuss where the scene actually begins after yeah. you read the entire sort of page and a quarter. Yes, okay. In 1975, my mother left my father for the last time. We fled to Guilford, Connecticut. It was a rich town, but we rented an apartment in a tenement that the town's residents referred to only as the welfare house. The backyard was a heap of dead cars. We lived on the second floor. Below us lived the town's other non-white residents, a Korean war bride and her two half-Italian sons. Besides them, li- beside them lived an obese white woman and her teenage son. I don't know if we were officially hiding out from my father there or if he knew where we were all that time. In my memory, it seems that a long time passed before we saw him again, long enough for me to forget him. And I remember the day he reappeared. I was five, 
and I heard the doorbell ring. I raced in bare feet to see who was there. I saw, at the bottom of the dimly lit stairwell, a man. His face was hidden in the shadows, but I could make out black curls, light brown skin. Hi, baby, he called up to me. I stared back. Don't you know who I am? I shook my head. You don't know who I am. I knew and I didn't know. I had memories of the man at the bottom of the stairwell, both good and bad, but I could not say who he was. I only knew that I had known him back there in the city and the sight of him now made me uneasy. My mother emerged behind me in a house dress. I heard a sound in her throat, a gasp or a sigh when she saw whom I was talking to. See that? The man shouted up at her. See what you've done? She doesn't even know who I am. My own child doesn't recognize me. I began to cry, perhaps recalling now all that we had fled. My mother shushed me. It's your father, she said, gathering me into her arms. I turned to watch him come toward us up the stairs. Thirty years later, and he's still asking me that question. Don't you know who I am? Alrighty, so let's... Let's start with, because our first note is a scene has a shape, a beginning, a middle, and an end, because it is driven by a character who wants something, has a goal of some kind, and obstacles that thwart that goal. So let's first talk about the shape and where you think it begins and what, why there's this stuff ahead of time. I actually think it begins, um, and I remember the day he reappeared. All right. And so, and, and so would you say, I mean, and I think I would, that the scene is... When we're in the flow of time, yes, and we're not speeding it up or slowing it down, although sometimes in a moment you might do that in scene, mm-hmm. but um, but it's kind of when you have a sense of sort of moving through real time, right, right, on some level. Okay, and so what com- what comes before that? So she's setting us up, right? So every other scene that we go through for the rest of this book will have had some previous scene uh, for context. Mm-hmm. There'll be some establishing context right. prior, right. so. We have to sort of start with some context. We could start mid-scene for sure. Yeah. Um, but she's chosen to give us an idea of time, place, and, and help us visualize the world she's inhabiting when this event happens. Yeah. And I want to note, because the first line is, in 1975, my mother left my father for the last time. And I think it's important to note that the scene that follows is not that. This mm-hmm. is not a summary of what's going to come. Right. This is the events that led up to this moment. So she left him. They fled to Connecticut. They, it's a rich town, but they live in an apartment, in a tenement. And they, we have a description of the, the location in which the scene's about to take place, right? So that's, I mean, she does it up front, but it mm-hmm. actually is part of creating the world of the scene. We get sort of the neighbors. Um, she doesn't know if they're officially hiding out. So that's kind of important, relevant information to this scene as well, if you, were, if you knew all along. And, right? it sh- and it sort of foreshadows why the separation might have happened. Right, right. right. So, so, we're, so we're kind of like zooming right toward... Um, this moment, mm-hmm. right? We're st- starting with a, an earlier moment. My mother left my father for the last time and zooming forward into into the world of this moment and into the tensions of this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, what does she want? What is her goal in this scene? Well, that is an interesting question. I think we see that she is surrounded by people who want things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's not as clear to me, just off the reading, what she's wanting, well, except yeah. to maybe find a, a place of comfort. 
in this. Like she's like the been little caught, girl. Yeah, she's been caught off guard, and so she's wanting to be in a place where things are known. Yeah, I mean, well, so let's okay. We'll talk about the little girl, and then I think we should talk about the narrator too. But right. So, so I was five, and I heard the doorbell ring. I raced in bare feet to see who was there. So she wants something to happen, right? She's she's excited. She wants to see who's there. She's racing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's certainly a desire in that. She's not sort of doesn't happen to just be there. And I think that would be an interesting thing where. You know, if you think about a kid, and we don't have any of this, so we're guessing, right? Yeah. We're totally guessing. But you could see, like, oh, if she had a friend who came over or, mm-hmm. you know, family visitors that came by that, that you know, made whatever the in the apartment life sort of more enjoyable, Palatable. right? And, and so, But it also, it also might suggest in her racing to see who was there that there isn't somebody who always comes over. Right. You know what so I mean? it could it's, be an unusual moment. Unusual. Yeah. And then... I would say, you know, I saw at the bottom of the dimly lit stairwell a man. His face was hidden in the shadows, but I could make out black curls, light brown skin. So she is, again, trying to see who's there. Like, mm-hmm. So I would actually say, if we really go she's close really, like, to curious. it, she, she races and then she's peering. Hi, baby. He called up to me. I stared back. Don't you know who I am? I shook my head. So she doesn't run away. Don't you know who I am? I knew and I didn't know. So I think she's trying to remember Mm -hmm. it. I had memories, both good and bad, but I couldn't say. The sight of him somehow made me uneasy, right? The mother comes and then, you know, she begins to cry. And she says, perhaps recalling. So she's remembering. She does a lot. Well, I mean, given the nature of the book, uh, there's a lot of what you remember and when and how. Um, in her relationship with her father. I think this this scene, this is sort of the thematic statement, heart, heart, of, the heart of the book. In Don't part, you know who I am? Well, also because I think he's got this question, she's got this question, this is a question he that... He has the question of who is he, or do you, you know, know who part I am? Of, part, no, he's, he's searching for his paternity, right? So he's got this story about a Mexican boxer, who might be oh, his father. And so he kind of throughout the book is having these moments when he's searching for this guy and he goes places and he does these things to find it. And mm. she goes on, you know, her own journeys to better understand her own father who is there. Right. 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 So it's but a different thing. Apparently. But I think there's a fundamental thematic question that's yeah. being presented at the beginning of the book. Now, the other thing I want to say is that so and especially because where we end up is 30 years later. Yes. That there's a narrator who wants something out of the scene as well. Mm-hmm. This is the older and specifically 30 years older than that child person that child became. Right. Right. And who's looking back and saying, in 1975, my mother left my father for the last time. And here's where we were. And she says, I don't know if we were officially hiding out from my father, if he knew we were there. It's a long time, long enough for me to forget him. Right. So these are sort of the narrator commenting. Mm -hmm. And she says, I knew and I didn't know that sort of, we're still sort of in the child. I had memories of the man at the bottom of the stairwell, but good or, you know, good or bad. So she's, she's looking, that's still pretty close. And then. I began to cry, perhaps recalling now all that we had fled. So that's the narrator trying to guess what made me cry in that moment, mm-hmm. right? What made the little child cry? Um, how was I juggling the good and the bad, mm-hmm. the forgetting and the not forgetting? How was I holding this back in this early moment that is sort of an, an early memory of the father, right? Um I turned to watch him come toward us up the stairs, which I want to say back to the child and what she wants. She, even though she cries and even though she has these, you know, knows and doesn't know, and even though the sight of him makes her uneasy, 
she's always wants to sort of know who is this, right? Mm-hmm. Which is sort of funny. So she, even because that's the question is, don't you know who I am? And she's she's always interested in that. So I think her desire kind of stays. And then 30 years later, and he's still asking me that question, don't you know who I am? So in a way, I think the scene is her trying to go after, like, do I know who he, who he is? And like, where in my childhood did I start knowing mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. knowing? Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So we have a narrator who has a goal and a... The so the narrator's goal is to find the moment where that started, that confusion of not knowing. I think so. Okay. And interestingly, it's, it's very it coincides in a way with the little girl's goal, which is like, who is this? Who is this arriving here in this moment? And she's sort of like, who is this who arrived, you know, mm-hmm. in, in when I was five and, and we had this formative kind of interaction that right. still shapes this relationship that I now want to investigate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, and then we, we have, and this is like interesting. So if you were doing fiction, mm-hmm. it would be very easy to have people taking actions and doing things in response. I think a lot of times we will be, if we are aware of what someone wants, we're often only aware of what the primary character mm. is seeking. And I think this opens us up to three characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so her father is wanting to come in. He's wanting to be connected. He's, you know, wanting to be part of that conversation. Her mom comes in, and we don't know really what her mom's feeling, right? We have this gasp or sigh. Well, and it's, right. And also it's, you know, it's complex because she's sort of perhaps hidden the family from him and perhaps, in you know, in hiding from him. And at the same time when he, and he's saying angrily saying, you know, she doesn't know who I am. And she immediately says, that's your father. So she's actually not withholding that at all in right. that moment, right? Mm-hmm. So she's kind of, that makes, to me, that's an interesting nuance. And I think- But in, she's also comforting her child. Like she's, yeah. she's also trying to keep the situation from- like De-escalate it. Yeah, de-escalate of. a little bit for everybody. You've got a little yeah. kid who's on the verge of being, you know, who knows what happens, right? When you've got a five-year-old and they're about to cry and they're feeling confused. So you have those emotions, you have your own emotions. So I think mm-hmm. you have all of these people. She's not preventing him. And this is interesting. She's not preventing him from coming in. Right. 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 And so she's her, not, she doesn't say, you know, go away. She doesn't say, she doesn't obscure who he is to the daughter, you know. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah. So I think I liked that. I felt like, okay, she's an interesting character. She's somewhat, she's somewhat also invested in their relationship, the daughter mm-hmm. and the father, even as she's fled or whatever. Right. All right, so our second point is Mm -hmm. a scene must have a reason to be there in the first place, uh, like a story purpose. And then specifically we talk about each scene dramatically delivering new information and um, and moving the story forward. So let's let's well, it'd be yeah. incredibly hard for the very first scene not to deliver new information. <laughs> deliver new information. Be a, yeah, real like accomplishment. Yes. <laughs> All right. So if so, let's start with that one. Each scene dramatically delivers new information. If we do see a character doing something, we expect them to do. The outcome will be different, which we actually were just talking about, mm-hmm. and that in turn moves the story. We don't need two scenes where someone lies to their partner unless, for example, in one it is self-serving and another it's self-sacrificing so that the reader's understanding of the character changes. So we don't want to repeat beats. When we've completed the arc of the scene, we'll know something about our character, however small, that we didn't know before. So, Yeah, and I think this has really just established a dynamic that will continue throughout their relationship. The combination of, you know... What feelings can I access? What do I know about you? What do you know about me? 
What do you think about me? Um, that, that it matters. I think the stakes, again, yeah. both for the little girl and the narrator and the father and the mother, like the fact that this matters is always clear. There's never right. sort of like a casual, we could just not do this, you know, kind of moment. Right, right. Um, and then we also, we, as we talked about, we get the neighbors, we get the place, so we, we get the yeah. world. We get the world. And, I, you know, she'll, you know, going through the other parts of the book, she's going back for both of her parents. And, you know, so she has this primary question about her father, mm-hmm. who has a kind of a mirror question in his own life. But she also goes back and learns about her mother's family's history. And they're very... Um, you know, her mother's family has been in the U.S. and part of, like, Rhode Island. They have this history of... And her mother's um, white. And her mother's white. So her mother's, like, a daughter of the American Revolution. It has very clear historical family connections to slave trade. There are, you know, documents that she, you know, finds about the history of her mother's family. So it's very interesting uh, the way that she's bringing together and and she moves forward to this this idea of of you know they aren't so separate like the, this idea that you know uh, he was raised in the south his mother traveled a lot he bounced around to different towns it was in orphanages she was this other you know what i mean so they had these very different looking selves but there's ways in which the histories are always inextricably linked right and um you know, this came out in 2009, so I feel like I can say a few things because, you know, normally yes, we're right. like, spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. Yeah. Um, I think that this, like, if you're a person who is writing memoir and you really want to figure out how to integrate some of those things we talk about, like transition and um, bringing sort of that historical perspective, again, because she does take the time to talk about her own research and her father's research, and it always plays a part in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Right, understanding who the characters yeah. are, understanding uh, what you thought would heal someone and what didn't. Right, mm-hmm. these these things keep going, but they have a reason. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, this is an interesting fact. Right, right. Um, Everything's there for a reason. Yeah. So when we've completed the arc of scene, we've moved forward in the story somehow. Either the plot is pushed in a new direction or the consequences, stakes are raised, which is to say the action needs to be meaningful. That last sentence, I think, really like drives it forward. First of all, it literally drives it forward 30 years. It says, you know, this question is the heart of the of what's, mm-hmm. you know, this relationship over the 30 years. Right. right? So um, I think that's pretty clear. The story, we, we've established these this family dynamic and... We're not going to circle it. Mm-hmm. We're going we're gonna to go. And actually, it's interesting. The line of the next scene um, is, um, so this is like the next sort of chapter, right? right? It starts on the half a page down on the next page. There is always that moment, fragile, brief, when I see my father coming toward me from a distance and I am happy, particularly in odd places far from home, like the time he came to visit me at the artist colony in New Hampshire. And so there's kind of this, po- like, Sort of echo to to the approach that he made in the in the scene when she was five, mm-hmm. um, and then but we're but we're not going to have that again. We're going to you know we're, now she's used to it. Now it's she it makes her she's done this in many different places. It makes her happy, and we're going to go to this artist colony. Right, we're going to go to an adult moment. Um, all not right. an adult moment. No, I mean that in some 
perverted way, Angela. Um, all right. So the last thing is, um, oh, so, so, okay. So we, so we know the scene is clearly has a reason to be there. We've mm-hmm. established that. That's number two. So number three is, well, action, no. Well, dialogue isn't required. Scene does require an acute focus on significant detail and action. These are the clues that your reader can't get from summary. Mm-hmm. So let's just look at what are the details in action that build this very short uh, scene that does a lot of work, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, because there's certainly, so we've, and actually, funnily enough, that first paragraph um, that is a bit of summary, but it, it does say like the backyard was a heap of dead cars. Well, how about, you know, just if we, if we just looked at the place where we said, okay, this is a full this scene. Is a full, yeah. Um, I raced in bare feet. Yeah. Beautiful. Right. right. Um, and that is so much the sort of the like the intimacy, the family moment, mm-hmm. the coming into the private realm from somebody who is was part of it and then isn't. And yeah. Right. The, his, his face was hidden in the shadows, but I could make out black curls, light brown skin. Right? So that's well, a, even that the dimly lit image. stairwell. We yeah. Can definitely. The bottom of a dimly lit stairwell. So we're just, that's like cinematic right there. Mm-hmm. And then the dialogue, which is also cinematic. Well, hi, baby. He called up to me. I stared back. Yeah. Which is a great, you know, to remember that actions can often be the response rather than words. And then the next line is his. Don't you know who I am? I shook my head. So her, all her dialogue is in action. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think the whole time, right? She never says anything. Right. And um, and then um, I knew, and I didn't know, so that's some interiority. I couldn't say who he was. My mother emerged behind me next, in a house dress. Yeah, very vivid. I heard a sound in her throat. And, and then, it, yeah. And then, go ahead. Well, you go ahead. A gasp or a sigh. So there, that's, that's the effort to interpret effort by the character to interpret, which is something that prose on the page gets to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the kind of the things you can't quite do. I and mean, the actor could do something with it. Uh, the actor doing the gasp of the sigh and the actor reacting to it in a film or, but, but in, you know, but that moment of like, how do I interpret this is one of the strengths of prose on the page. Yes. Uh, when she saw whom I was talking to and then he shouts up at her that's action. I began to cry. Then we have the line of interiority, perhaps now recalling recalling now all that we had fled. My mother shushed me, action, right? Gathering me into her arms. I turned to watch him. What's confusing, and I'll say this, like this section to me is so actually complicated. She shushed me. Shushing isn't, it can be like a sh- comforting, you know, comforting mm-hmm. or it can be a shutdown. Mm. Right, she shushed me. It's your father, mm. right? Mm-hmm. But or, she also gathers, gathering me into her arms, right? And then she turns to watch him, which I think is a little bit of she's twisting away. She's like, okay, I could have the hug, but I want to see him. Yeah. So it's a very, I mean, like very subtle so, negotiation. And a lot going on, there, right? Right, a lot going on there. I, I am. Um, I read her novel, New People, and I loved it. Mm. I really, I really loved it. So there you go. Yeah, this is a beautiful book. I was kind of going back through it this morning and and it definitely leaves you with an emotional wallop and I am yeah and I just uh will put it in the show notes of course but a, a wonderful masterclass on the nonfiction aspect of these things and you know bringing in those pieces as we said before that are you know how do you bring in documents of you know, 400 years ago in a way that is emotionally relevant. And um, how do you talk about those things and those histories? 
Um, and here's one of those things. They absolutely pertain to the intimacies of her parents' relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Those histories. So it's not being an arbitrary selection of things, right? Right. Every scene is relevant to the, this, this question of, you know, who, do, do you know who I am? Right. For all of them. For all of them, for all yeah. Of them. So go steal this. 